Well, this morning, we've already heard some news. We've already heard through the songs different uh, aspects of what's been going on. We've heard through the readings of uh, the individuals, something from the angels, something from Mary, something that uh, Zachariah heard and his wife Elizabeth. We even had Simeon and Anna, each of them getting some sort of news, some sort of news, and the way they reacted to it is, uh, is amazing. It's much different than what we might expect when there's a news of a baby. Normally where it's like, oh, okay, it's another baby. That's great. No, it's not. It's never that way. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, as we think about news, man, we have, we have news all the time, all around. See if I can organize myself again here on this, this stand. There we go. But there's a lot of news we hear every day. It's news from far away. It might be Israel. It might be something else. It uh, maybe North Korea. We've heard some stuff. Russia recently. I'm sure you can think of a few headlines that are going on there. But uh, there's even news from our state capital. Sometimes we don't like it, like gas taxes are going up. Or maybe there's something from our U.S. capital. Our taxes are going up. Oh, no, I mean, it's a, a tax bill has been approved. Or uh, maybe we heard that President Trump signed it. Maybe we heard someone just tweeted about it. Any of these things might be news, and you might claim it as good news or maybe bad news. It depends on which side of the fence you land on. My aunt and I are completely opposite sides of the fence. She puts things on Facebook, and I'm like, that was not good news. And she's, she's excited about it, like it's great news. And we put things up, and for her, it's not good news to her. So it goes back and forth. But as we think about what is good news, what is bad news, we have to make some evaluations. As we think about that, let's just stop for a word of prayer as we look, before we begin looking in about the news that is brought to us here in God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, as we think about the news that was shared from the angels to the individuals, from the shepherds to the countryside to uh, a man to his neighbors, God, we just ask that you would allow us to look at this news and recognize if this is good news or bad news and how it uh, affects us in the way that it plays out. God, guide our thoughts as we look through your scripture, look at uh, history of uh, what this even means, and as we look today at the reflection of Zechariah on these words. God, guide our time together, and just bless our time as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, news these days, it can really get ramped up. You may see some stuff that's really sensationalized, and you get emotionally involved with it. Something is said, it's like, oh, I'm going to latch onto that. You retweet it, you repost it a thousand times, and uh, sometimes it can make our day when we hear the news, or it can wreck our day when we hear the news. Think about like a sporting event. There's celebration parades going on all over, and then on the other side of town, or in the other person's town, there's riots and upsetness, all those things happening. What is good news and what's bad news? There's a phrase we sometimes think about or talk about when we're talking about news. That's, that's me banging around here. That, uh, but when we, when we hear these things talking about news, no news is good news. How many of you have ever said that? You're waiting for someone to get home. You're waiting to hear. Like, oh, no news must be good news. But uh, what, does that, what does that even mean? Does that mean by being ignorant of something, it must, must be good? You know, we haven't heard for 24 hours from that person. They must be doing fine when it could have been something totally different. They're not doing so well. Is bad news really the only news we should expect to hear? Sometimes that's also the thing that travels the fastest. We say bad news travels fast, another one of these little phrases we have about our news, and we're concerned about what's going on. Really, we never expect to hear good news consistently unless it's in the fact that, oh, we just got engaged, you hear a wedding proposal, or there's a birth of a new child. 
It's a boy. It's a girl. Sometimes that might be good news or bad news, too, depending on how things are going. But uh, we wanted a girl really bad. We just have boys. Others want boys really bad, just have girls. It's all over the place how this goes. But uh, whatever the case, we all want to hear news. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. We want to hear it. We even have news feeds available that are going to aggregate everything from around the globe just so we can look at it quickly. Some people have Mashable. They might have it set up as their main page. Or uh, what else do we have? Drudge Report. Anybody out there have Drudge set up as their main thing? No, but we're looking. And those, too, focus on what do we think is good news and what do we want to hear. And it's news all around. Even here at the coffee shop, perking up, there's guys that come in. And they're like, any news? What do you got to tell me? What, do, what can I hear? But uh, the scripture reading this morning, it was like the news feed from the Jerusalem Times. You've got news coming in from different sources, news coming out from those people that heard it. Secondhand news sometimes, firsthand news. At the beginning of Luke, we had angels news to Mary, the angels news to Mary. What did, she, what did the angel say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That was some amazing news. And Mary's response, or Sherry's in this case this morning, she, she had a whole prayer of praise. Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She heard this news and took it immediately. This is good news. So good that my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. How about Elizabeth and Zechariah? They had a son that was born. This morning, Charles was almost like Zechariah. He had lost his voice, and he had it back now, just for us today, as uh, he speaks. But they made signs to him, inquiring, what should the name be? And he said, John. And uh, they were all wondered at this. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke. But did he say anything about his own son? No, he talked about another son that was going to come, another person. And uh, we'll look at that here in a little bit in Luke 1, 67 through 75. But his response was not to praise his son and look at, hey, look at me, I'm a great father. I, we made it happen and we've got a child. No, his response was blessing and praising God. And what happened to the people who heard that news? Some of you, I heard a, an astonishment. It said, and fear came upon all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout all the hills of Judea. Everybody heard this news that he said as he gave blessings to God. And it made a difference in these people's lives. They held these things in their heart just as Mary did when they heard this news. How about we had Mel and uh, Margie up here, a.k.a. Simeon and Anna. And uh, Simeon said, My eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people in light for revelation to the Gentiles. And Anna said, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were coming and waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There was something about this news that made them excited, that made them change what they were doing and take action on it. What were these men and women so excited about? What news were they waiting for? And why was it news at all, a birth of a child? There's babies born all the time, and yet it changed their lives and changed their response. Now, many of us here, as you're thinking about that question, why was this news, any news at all? We've got ideas in our mind that we could say out. This was the Son of God that was being talked about. This was, his name is Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. He's also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's something special about this baby. There's a lot at stake in the birth of this one child. 
Now in our Western culture, it's been increasingly moving away from Christian, a Christian worldview. These references to a personal God, to a God who saves, can often bring more questions than they do answers. Really? Is this news at all? It's just another child. But since the Bible was completed nearly 2,000 years ago, the news of the birth of Jesus Christ has been called good news. It changed our calendar. It changed history. We talk about everything before Christ, after Christ, B.C. or A.D. Even if you're not into that, you're talking about the before the common era and after the common era. It still centralizes on Christ and who he is, no matter what they've done. There's something major about what has happened here. It's been good news. And uh, you hear the angels talk about it here in Luke as they were reading. It says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And again, in chapter 2, it says, I proclaim to you good news. So we know something about this news. It's good news. And it's good news for a reason. But to understand the significance of the birth of this baby and the fact that it's good news, we have to understand the history that led up to this point. There had to have been something going on that these people were waiting for to recognize this was good news. And not just good news, it was, it was great news. It was the news that they had been waiting for for years. Where would we go to find a history of what they had known before this, what the people had known? We would look right here to the Bible. God's word, it's called. The Israelites had God's word from the beginning. We have Moses writing about the creation in the book of Genesis. We have Joshua talking of the people of Israel as they traveled. We have all the prophets sharing what is going on in the lives of the people of Israel throughout this time where God had given a promise at the beginning and God continued that promise through. But in the midst of that, there was some bad news. It wasn't all just good news. But over 3,000 times, the Bible says that it's the revealed word of God, the God who created the universe, the God who created all things, all life, and he made himself known to man. That's where we have to start. When we look at this good news, it's not just all of a sudden there and these people are like, oh yeah, wow, we have a child being born. No, they knew something was happening because they had had a history and they knew of a God who was a creator from the beginning. You might think, what does that really have to do with Christmas? But it has a lot to do with Christmas because there's one reason why Christ was born and it has to do with what happened in Genesis. Hold your finger there in Luke and jump back to Genesis. It's the very first book of the Bible. I think I have five pages before it, just of commentary and other things telling me where to find Bible, other books. But Genesis, right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It's the start of what would appear to be good news. It says here, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to multiply and fill the earth. And at the end of this, he said it was very good. There was good news. Man was created. Man who represented God here on earth was with him. And uh, in his own image, we don't sometimes think about our role in Christmas. It's a time, except for giving gifts to one another and accepting gifts from others. But our role in Christmas began back at the time when Adam and Eve were created. In the image of God, and uh, he created them there. We read more about it here in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Here is the start of us on earth. We're with God. God gives us life, God breathing life into mankind. 
but it did not take too long, and that life was taken away. We're told later that uh, God created the woman in Genesis 2 here, and from elsewhere in the Bible, we learn that all humans who ever descended came from this one, this Adam, these two people. Therefore, all of us today are related to what was going on here in Genesis. Now, when God created Adam, he didn't make him to be a puppet. He didn't tell him, you go out there and just mechanically walk around. He gave him responsibilities. He gave him instructions to obey here in Genesis 2. Let's see again in verse 15 of Genesis 2, the instructions that God gave. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat it, you will surely die. Not long after this command, I think a lot of us would probably be able to tell the story of what happened. You could uh, repeat it with me. So Eve, being deceived by the serpent, took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave it to her husband, Adam, who also ate of it. And their eyes were opened, and they realized that they were naked, and they were ashamed, and they hid themselves and tried to cover them with fig leaves. And God came and walked in the garden. He said, Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding? And the story continues. There was already a fallenness of their relationship between Adam and Eve and God as a result of this one sin, this one disobedience to the command of God. Adam chose to disobey God by eating this fruit, the one fruit that God had told him not to eat of. You would think sometimes we're that way too. We've got everything out there, a whole smorgasbord, like don't eat that one right there. And we do. That's the one we go to. If we're kids, we're like, don't eat those cookies right there. There's 75 dozen over here, but don't eat those six. Those are for grandma. And we go and eat those. It's uh, something that's been passed down to us from generation to generation. It's nothing new. But uh, as God had warned, the punishment for Adam's sin was death. And not only for Adam, but for all of his descendants, including you and me. We talk about these prayer requests, things that are going on in our lives. Even we uh, think about Rick Gutierrez, who just passed away. Death is the ultimate end for our life here on earth. But God provided hope. Right away, he provided hope in what was going on. Even though we see, therefore, just as through one man, sin into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, there's hope here in Genesis. Genesis 3:15. God made a statement to Adam and Eve, even in their sin, even in their fallen state away from God, he wanted them to realize that there was hope. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This sounds like very figurative language, but as we look through the Bible, it continues to use the same word, offspring, referring back to the one here that is talked about. If we look a little further in Genesis 22, it says, the promised offspring, and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's Genesis 22:18. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. We still might not know what this means, but God in his righteousness and his holiness allowed us to know in Galatians 3 in the New Testament, you don't have to turn there, but it says, Paul, one of God's servants, says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, and quoting here, it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, 
Who is Christ? We have a connection from this one offspring talked about in Genesis 5, the offspring that was promised to Abraham. We even see it in David. It says that his offspring will sit on the throne of God forever, and to his kingdom there will be no end. That same word being used throughout. And here in the New Testament, as we see Christ, it says that offspring referring to one who is Christ. Paul builds on these use of offspring, and we see the extent not only of the infallibility of Scripture, but God's promises is coming through. The good news, the hope that was given, even in Genesis 3 at the fall of mankind, was being continued throughout. There's actually a prophecy concerning the one who conceived by God himself would be born of a woman, born of a virgin, the baby who was born in Bethlehem. And what's interesting as well, Jesus is called the last Adam. This one child we've sang about, we have the first Adam in Genesis, Jesus Christ was called the last Adam. This was the news that they were waiting for. This was the news that the people of early Israel were waiting for. They had been, for 400 years, had silence. There was nothing written in Scripture from the, from the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, all the way to Matthew. And then here we have the birth of the Son being announced. And they realize this is the news we've been waiting for. This is the offspring that we've been waiting for since the very beginning. And it changed their response. The first Adam, as we talked about, he was the father of humanity and endowed all of his descendants with sin and death for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, he communicates life and light to all men. He gives eternal life which is totally different than eternal death that Satan had brought upon as a result of Adam's sin. But he gives eternal life to those who receive him, to believe on his name. He gives them the right to become children of God, it says here in the New Testament section. But the first Adam experienced the judgment of God. The last Adam experiences the blessing of God, the righteousness of God, the promises of God. But to do that, he had to be born on this earth. He had to live a life of, without sin. He had to die for us on the cross and be raised again. That was what they were hoping for even at that point when they heard this news of this baby. Jesus Christ experienced the judgment of God just as Adam did in death. Jesus died not for his own sins though, but for the sins of mankind, for all those who are descendants of Adam. But he didn't stay dead. He didn't see corruption as we hear Brooke McIntosh say every single Easter play and his body saw no decay. But on the third day, he rose again, thereby overcoming Satan and the power of death for all people who believe in him. And he brought resurrection from the dead. That's the message of the babe born in Bethlehem. It starts with the creation of a perfect world and then because of our sin in Adam leads to our need of a savior, which is why Jesus stepped in to history to become flesh 2,000 years ago. So here we have Zechariah. We've come through all of that, and we see Zechariah's response. He's one of the recipients of this good news. I wrote this passage as the, uh, the main passage for the sermon from Luke 1, 67 through 75, because it conveys all of that we just talked about in the history of the Old Testament, Adam, the sin, and the need for salvation. He knew the implications of what he had been told even though he was told about his own son, there was more in that message that his son was supposed to proclaim 
about someone who is greater than him, someone who is coming that can provide salvation. And as a result, his response was totally different. This miracle of God that he and Elizabeth were going to have a child that they always wanted, it was great news, good news for them. They were on cloud nine. He wasn't able to talk, but other than that, he was really excited about this news. But the response is not at all what we would expect here. When he's able to speak, as I said before, the first words out of his mouth are praises to God, and not even for his own son who he'd been longing for, but his exaltation is for the Son of God, Jesus, who was still to be born, and he knew that that promise was going to come. Through the news of his own son, he recognized that the offspring of the woman, promised in Genesis 3.15, was now a reality. You know, this was a son that was going to be born to his sister's cousin, or his wife's cousin, Mary. God was faithful to his promises all throughout the Old Testament as he had made these statements. His promise to Adam and Eve of the offspring, that would crush the head of the serpent, Satan. His promise to Abraham was that in your offspring, all the nations would be blessed. He had that promise to the King David I mentioned, I will raise up your offspring after you, and I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. Zechariah, he knew it and he believed it, even though God had not been in their presence for over 400 years in the way that he had been before. And his response here in Luke 1, verse 67, it says, His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, and he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. He just summarized all that we looked at from the beginning of Genesis until this point in time. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He wasn't just praising any of the gods around him, praising the, the nursery for bringing up their child, for allowing his wife to become pregnant. None of those things. It was all about God, the Lord God of Israel. And it's not even for his son. He says, for he visited and he redeemed his people. This word visited is that God has come to help, to help, to come alongside and he is redeemed, he is paid for, he has paid the price for his people. These are words that uh, sometimes we throw around. We might think about what the, the meaning of them is, but as we think through redeemed, it's not just like I redeemed my Starbucks gift card and got $15 off on my purchase. No, he, this redemption is much, much more. This redemption is for the life of mankind, redemption for the sin that Adam had at the beginning all the way through up until this point and into the future, Christ was here to redeem those, to pay the cost for all that was necessary. And here it says in verse 69, he raised up a horn of salvation for us. Again, not a word we necessarily use, a horn of salvation. Sometimes we think about unicorns, but that doesn't quite correlate. But the horn of salvation in the Old Testament, this was always meaning the center and focus of power. It was the might of God, his powerfulness of God, and all of his power and might was focused on his salvation for us. That's what Zechariah is realizing. God's power, his might is involved behind this. He is the one who's going to bring this salvation, and it, it amazes him as he hears these things. He realizes this is the one who's in the house of his servant David, the offspring that David was promised, the one who was spoken of by the prophets of old. You might even... Uh, know some of those things. You've, you've heard of him. Isaiah, if we think of Handel's Messiah, he said, this is the one. His name will be what? Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, and Everlasting Father. That is what we see here, mouth of the holy prophets from of old. And 
Zechariah realizes these things. Sometimes we sing them out, and it's just beautiful music, and we don't realize these are actually the words of God proclaimed about his son. Zechariah realized that with this news. So part of this real story is the bad news about the rebellion of the first man, Adam, against God's command. And that brought death. That was not good news for anybody. Nobody was hoping for that. Even Adam wasn't really thinking about that when all of those things transgressed. But because of his sinfulness, we are all sinful. From conception, as David, one in the line of Christ, would say, and we've ourselves have entered into rebellion. Can you think of maybe a time this morning, the last 25 minutes, the last whatever, where our minds have thought of something that is opposed to what God would want us to do. It may not be in that time. Some of us can go a longer spans than that without a sinful thought crossing our head. But that is the, the natural tendency for us to have, to have thoughts that, oh, man, that, that guy can't pray. Or, you know, we've th- things that uh, just come to mind. Okay, that was the first thing that, that came to mind. They come to mind while we're sitting here, while we're thinking we're supposed to be worshiping God and wondering about him. Instead, we're wondering, is the turkey burning? Is something else going on? Our minds are strained from following God and worshiping him together to things around us that uh, distract us and bring us away. God said it again, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's nothing we can do that can be equal with his glory, that can be equal with what he demands of us. As Adam and Eve showed, just by eating a fruit in the beginning, they could not keep up with God's commands. As we think through those things, as we recognize what's been going on here, there's this good news of this, this son. Probably the most known verse in the world has to do with this good news. People quote it all the time. You see it printed everywhere. And it's just said flippantly. Some of you might even have it memorized. It's the good news that God has done something for man's sin. It said, this is the way God loved the world, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And it continues, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So we think about that. Jesus Christ, though totally sinless, on behalf of mankind, took the penalty of mankind's sin, which was death and separation from God. He did these things. God had planned it out long before and knew what was going to happen. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, died on that cross. He rose again, conquering death, so that those who truly believe in him, repent of their sins, and trust in him. We're able to come back to God. We're able to live for, with him for eternity, not separated from him for eternity as Adam's curse brought on mankind. But Zechariah finishes up his time here as he, as he gives his prophecy. Verse 71 of Luke 1, it says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This is Satan. This is Satan who has tempted and led away all who are opposed to God. He's not just talking about enemies with swords and battle axes. He's talking about enemies that are vying for our heart, vying for our lives. Satan and his enemies, just as he was the enemy of God from the beginning, he still is. But here, God sent his son that we may have salvation from our enemies. We may be saved from them. And he did it so that God could show the mercy promised to his fathers before. Mercy that God had promised in the covenants says there to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we be delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we might serve him without fear, that we might serve him in holiness, that we might serve him in righteousness before him all of our days. 
Zechariah realized what this news was. It was a change of life. It was a change from death into life. It wasn't just good news. It was great news, the best news they'd ever heard, the best news that they've been longing for. You hear the responses of the individuals as they see Christ. Simeon, as he's brought to the temple, he was there, and all he could do is praise God as a result of seeing the one whom God promised for salvation. Anna, all she could do was talk to everyone in Jerusalem about the redemption that Christ was going to bring. We have others that were involved. We have the shepherds you've seen, well, the wise men. They got the alert of, the, of God who was coming soon. Their, their tweet, their feed was there. They were on it. They heard the news, and they recognized the good news as a story they'd been waiting for, the story they'd been longing for. The babe of Bethlehem, what a wonderful savior. What a wonderful salvation. It's Jesus Christ. He's the one at the Redeemer. As Jeremiah, as Zechariah, I mean, was probably thinking some of those last thoughts, one of the promises that God had made was of a new covenant. All of these changes that were going on. And in Jeremiah 33, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and in that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And that this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Zechariah was right on the right track as he hears the news and he responds to it. Not only do we receive the news as good news from Christ that we might be saved from our enemies, but he recognizes it also changes lives, that we might serve him without fear, serve him in holiness, serve him in righteousness before God all of our days. Let's go out with that as we think about what is Christmas? What is this babe being born? What is this news all about? It's about God and his righteousness being made available to us through this Son, Jesus Christ. Let's consider those things as we continue our celebrations of Christmas with family, as we continue singing about them with one another, as we even go past the Christmas season. We're celebrating one single day out of the year, but every day is a day to celebrate what Christ has done, what this news of the new birth for us, the new birth of the Son, Jesus Christ, has done and the salvation that it provides. Let's consider those things as we head out from here. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for these words, for the recording of history from Genesis all the way to the birth of your son. And then even as we've looked at in previous days to Revelation, when you come again and you restore everything, make everything new so we can come and worship you. God, as we are here this morning, we just ask that our hearts would be full of worship, our thoughts would be full of reverence to you and awe in what you've done that even as the angel came and proclaimed this good news to these people in the New Testament, that we too would be filled with fear and wonder of the news that you've brought, the salvation, that our lives would be changed, that we would walk in holiness and righteousness, serving you all the days of our lives. God, just uh, work in us, change our hearts to be your children, to be called children of God, just as your son of God who was born here on earth. Thank you for these things. Thank you for this good news. In Jesus' name, amen.